we are here to celebrate something that has been celebrated for 2,000 years. There's a, when we greet each other, you know, like we see each other in Walmart, normally what happens is it's like, it's like, hey, how are you doing? And the answer is, fine. That's how we greet each other, you know? They didn't used to greet each other that way. There were, I'm not saying you should do this now. It's kind of an Easter thing, but you can do it anytime you want. There's a thing called the Paschal greeting. It has to do with the Passover and Easter. And they don't know exactly when it started. The words from it are actually from the Bible, from Luke 24. But the, the common thought is this actually started with Mary Magdalene. You know, the, the friend of Jesus, the first one to see him alive after the resurrection, the one that went to his tomb. That Mary Magdalene went before the emperor Tiberius in Rome. And what she did when she saw him was she greeted him the same way that all of those early Christians greeted each other with the three most important words they knew. And I'm going to say that, what she said to him, and some of you don't know what's coming, some of you do. If you know what's coming, you know what to do. If you don't know what's coming, pretend because we'll do it again, and then you'll know what to do, and nobody will be the wiser, okay? When Mary saw the emperor, her greeting to him was the same greeting that all Christians greeted each other with back then. We're talking months after Jesus rose from the dead. And here's what she said to that emperor. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yeah, it's about a six. But, <laughs> but you know now... That when I say he is risen, you say he is risen indeed. And I know sometimes I just say that in the context of something and somebody will always say it. That's good. Whenever you hear it, respond. So we'll try it one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's good because that's important. That's why we're here. This past week, typically referred to as Holy Week, has kind of been about remembering Jesus' death on the cross and what he did for us. And it's kind of a dark thing. It's kind of a dark time. Sunday, we much, Sunday is way better when we're talking about the resurrection. But you understand that the only way for them and for us, the only way to Sunday is through the events of the previous week. The only way to the empty tomb was through the events of those weeks, Jesus' agony in the garden. His betrayal, the arrest, the trials, the crucifixion, the death, the burial. Those are the things that had to come before to make Sunday what it was. But that's what we talked about last week. Today, today is Easter Sunday. Today is totally different because there is an empty tomb. Had there not been an empty tomb, we wouldn't be here today. Nothing else would have mattered without the resurrection. So we are here today for one simple reason. He is risen. risen You catch on really fast. I love it. You see, after Jesus gave up his life for us that day, he was taken down from the cross, placed in a tomb. He was dead. The soldiers made sure of that. Um, uh, When when Joseph of Arimathea, the guy that took Jesus' body down and buried it, um, when he asked for the body, Pilate, Pilate was actually very surprised that Jesus was dead already. So he had his guards who like it was their job to crucify people, to make sure they're dead, to take care of all that. He had his, his guards check and the guards certified it. Said, yep, he's dead. Taken down from the cross, put in a tomb. It was like a, a cave carved out of a, a rock, you know, just a big rock. The cave was carved out of it and there was a big entrance that you could go in to put the body there. And they rolled a big stone, huge stone rolled in front of the entrance. What we today here, along with about a billion other people, are celebrating today, he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in that tomb. The stone was rolled away. It wasn't rolled away so that he could get out. It rolled away revealing an empty tomb. He came out. He rose from the dead. Some of you know that... um, Instead of a, a typical Bible reading plan this year where like I read through the Bible or read through the New Testament or whatever, I just decided to just take my time and just kind of follow Jesus a little bit through the Gospels. And so I started with Mark because it's my favorite one. Mark is kind of like me. It's a little ADD. And things are not always in order. It's like he's going along. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he talks about this. 
then, oh, wait, 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 talks about this. I love that about him. And so what I thought was going to take a month, um, I started January 1st. Um, I just got this week to chapter 16 and the resurrection. And as I'm reading it this week, it's like, good timing, God. This is just good. So I just want to read a couple verses for you for Mark about this so that you kind of get the picture of where we're at. In, in verse 1 of chapter 16, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, so the, you understand Jesus died, he was buried, he's in the tomb, the stone is rolled there, uh, Mary Magdalene and a couple others watched Joseph of Arimathea do that, put him in there and rolled a big stone there. Um, later they saw the guards seal it so that nobody could break the seal and everything was secure and Jesus was dead and there was no question. They watched all that happen and I got to imagine for them, I, I thought of this so many times yesterday, Saturday had to have been the longest day in the history of the universe. Because someone they had followed for three and a half years, someone who they pinned all their hopes on, was dead in a tomb. And hope was lost. Everything was gone. Saturday had to have just taken forever. So Saturday night they go out and they buy some, some spices, burial spices, to, to anoint Jesus' body. And then verse 2, very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. By the way, this has nothing to do with that. I wanted to sleep in just a tad today. We had to get up really early. And so I had set my alarm, but it's like, it's just a few more minutes. I woke up like a half hour before my alarm, uh, maybe an hour, hour before my alarm. And I have this app that tells you when sunrise and sunset starts and stuff. And it's like, I woke up when, when the, the light was starting to happen and sunrise hadn't happened yet. It's like, well, I could just sleep for a little while longer. And you know what all I could hear is? I rose from the dead and you can't even get out of bed. <laughs> so anyhow... Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. Mary and Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. They went to the tomb. Um, on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll the stone away from us, for us from the entrance of the tomb? And one note I want to make here, when it says, who will roll it away from the entrance of the tomb, um, the word entrance... Um, every translation says that. It says the entrance of the tomb. The word used for entrance is simply the word door. But it's, for them, you don't think of, you know, we think of, here's, uh, there's a door. You can go out, you can come in, you know, door opens, closes on a tomb. It's like, nope, it's not. So they called it, this is just an entrance. You don't think of exit. Very few tombs have the exit sign <laughs> on the inside. It's just, you can go in and see what happened. And they said, who's going to roll this stone away from the door for us? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. I love the detail here. The women were shocked. They were shocked because it wasn't just a young guy. It was an angel because it says the next verse, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. Are you ready? He is risen. It says he's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, and this is very important. The angel says to them, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. Very important. Remember that. You'll catch the significance of that in a few minutes. Especially Peter, he said. Tell him that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. That's why we're here. We've been talking here at Journey in Our Church about doors for a few weeks. If you've missed a few or haven't heard that, um, you can go online to iloveourchurch.com or journeynorthchurch.com or go to iTunes and all the messages are there. You can listen to them all um, for free and catch up with that. But we've been talking about doors. And I want you to think about that, that stone that covered the entrance to the tomb. I want you to think about that like a door. Because really, that's what it was. That's what it, was. it is. It's a door. I want you to think about it as a door. And it was a closed door for three days. It was closed. A door that they and everybody else had assumed was shut for good. But what happened that first Easter morning... It changed everything. A door that everyone would naturally assume would be closed for good was opened by the power of God. The stone was rolled away. The door was open. The tomb was empty. 
Because he was not there. And why was he not there? Because he is risen. I know we've done it a lot. We'll taper off a little. Here's what it says in John 10, chapter 9. Chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus' words. I am the door. Same word he used there. I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. This is huge. This is the most important door in your life, whether you realize it or not. This is the door to everything you need. Some of you are thinking, eh, I don't know, I need an awful lot. No, that's want. Different than need. Jesus is the door to everything you need. We've talked about the significance of doors in the Bible and how the doors and the spiritual significance is mentioned like 400 times in the various translations all about doors because there's so many different kinds of doors and you are going to face many kinds of doors over your lifetime. Many of these you've already faced. There are doors to happiness. There are doors to sadness. There are doors to life. But there are doors to death. Doors to, to opportunity or doors that are a trap. There are doors that are right doors and wrong doors. There are doors that detour. And most of us have experienced these. When you go through them, you don't know what's a detour. It's only after you've gone through the door and you get way off track and you realize, yeah, probably shouldn't have done that. And we went through the wrong door. And it can take years to get back. All kinds of doors that you're going to face. And here's the truth that you need to know. Your happiness and success in life will be determined by which doors you walk through and which doors you walk past. That will make all of the difference for you. And, and the problem is, the sad part is, most people miss the open doors God gives them. They miss them for a number of reasons. One of the main reasons is they don't recognize them. They're not following Him closely. They're not listening. They're, do, excuse me, they're doing their own thing. They're focusing on their own thing. And the door gets opened and they just don't recognize it. Maybe later they look at that and it's like, oh, yeah, that would have been a good door to go through. Maybe they miss the door because they aren't prepared for them. We talked about this last week. It's very easy when you think there needs to be an open door and God has kind of said, yeah, there's going to be an open door, but it's not open yet. What do you do while you're waiting? You plan and prepare so that when the door opens, you're ready. There are far too many people that just go about their business and when the door finally opens, they're not ready. And they miss it. Sometimes people miss the open doors God gives them because they simply lack the courage to go through them. The, the door opens. They see it. They hear that whisper, this is the door. This is it. But they're scared. And they don't go through the door and they miss the opportunity. Today I want to talk about doors to freedom. That's what Jesus is. He said, I am that door. I am that door to freedom because God wants you to be free. Uh, on your message notes even, I put a couple verses there, a couple examples of prison doors because this is a, all throughout Scripture. It's a theme. Prison doors that God opened for people. I just put a couple examples. There's a whole bunch of examples of that, of God opening prison doors because there's all different kinds of doors. Some doors are like entrances. You know, they let you into a good place. But some doors are exits that get you out of a bad place, and that's a good thing. Now, you might not be locked up in a physical prison at the moment. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but I can remember. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I had someone come up to me, second service, and say, um, I, I got, I'm one of those. I got out of prison Friday, and I know exactly what you're talking about, what it feels like to be free. And by the way, that person also gave their life to Jesus today. How exciting is that? <laughs> But at this moment, you might not be locked up in a physical prison, but here's what I know that you know. You don't have to be behind bars to feel imprisoned. Because too many people right now hearing this feel imprisoned. And there are so many different things that can imprison us. We can, infeel, we can feel imprisoned by unhealthy relationships. We have that relationship where we feel trapped. We can't get out. It's just bad things are happening, but we can't get out of it. We feel like we're stuck, and we feel like we're in prison. Or maybe it's some hurt habit or hang-up. 
you have some addiction, you have something going on in your life, and it's not a physical prison, but you're imprisoned. And you just feel stuck there. Maybe it's just as simple as a tradition. Yeah, we've always done this, and we need to do this, and I don't want to do this. And, and, and you just keep doing it, but you feel imprisoned by it. Too many people here feel imprisoned by the expectations of others. I don't feel free because I'm always trying to do what somebody else wants me to do. Maybe for you it's a painful memory. Something that happened last week, last year, decade ago, doesn't matter. You have this memory and it's a painful memory and it's just not going away. And the, the, the pain is there and the hurt is there and you're trapped and you feel imprisoned. I know that there's way too many people here that are imprisoned by a mountain of debt. Maybe nobody even knows about it. But you are so far in debt. You have this mountain of debt over you and you just feel like you're suffocating. And you're imprisoned by that. And at one time or another, we're all imprisoned by our emotions. We get, we get trapped and we feel like there's bars there because of the, the depression or the despair or the grief or the shame or the regret or the anger. And these emotions have us feeling just like we're imprisoned. And you can feel imprisoned by any or all of those things. So how does God break us out of whatever held us captive? How does God do that? Well, there's two things here. The first one is this. You might not like this. Sometimes God has to shake your foundations to set you free. One of those examples on your notes is from Acts 16 when Paul was in prison. The apostle Paul was in prison. And it says in verse 26, they're in prison there, they're all chained together, and it says this. Suddenly, there was a strong earthquake that shook the foundation, the very foundation of the jail. And it was only then that all the doors of the jail broke open and all the prisoners were freed from their chains. And sometimes in order to set you free, God's got to shake your foundations. For some of you, maybe it's what you've always believed. You don't know how you got that belief, but you've always believed that and God has to come along and shake that up a little bit. Maybe it's what you feel or what you felt. And you got these emotions, you got these feelings, and you don't know what's right, you don't know what's wrong, but it's yours and you're going to stay there and God comes along and in order to set you free, He's got to shake you up a little bit. Maybe it's things you're doing, something you've done, things you're doing, and it's like, I've just always done this, I've always done it this way. And God says, yep, you always do it that way and you're always going to get the same thing. And He has to come along and get your attention by shaking it up a little bit. So that's the first thing. Sometimes he has to shake your foundations. The second thing is this, though. He connects you to the power of the resurrection. That's Easter power. So you can't do this on your own. He does it. It's not in your notes, but up on the screen, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 says this. I pray you'll understand how incredibly great God's power is, how amazing it is, how big it is to help those who believe him. People who've walked through that door to freedom, who've trusted that what Jesus did was for them and said, I don't understand all this, but I'm going to believe that what he did on that cross was for me, that he rose again for me, and I'm going to trust him. When you believe him, it says, I pray that you'll understand how incredibly great God's power is for you then. When you become a follower of Jesus, he says, it's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. That took a lot of power. You got somebody who was crucified and when you read how that was done and you read the condition of the body and you read, he's laying there, he's been there three days, he's dead and they roll the stone away and look at, he's gone. He's risen from the dead, appeared to them and walked with them for 40 days. Ate with them, talked with them, shared his heart with them because he was alive. That power that, rose, that raised Jesus from the dead God wants to give you to break free from whatever prison you're in. So Jesus has risen to release you from your prison, whatever it is. The door to freedom. door to freedom is actually one of like the main themes of the Bible, uh, of Jesus. He talks about it all the time. I'm just going to very quickly mention four things, four times. One is in <clears throat> excuse me, Luke 4.18. Jesus said this early on in his ministry. The Father has sent me to announce freedom to prisoners. So Jesus is saying this is one of the main reasons why I came. 
to announce freedom to prisoners. And he wasn't just referring to those who were incarcerated behind literal bars. He was referring to all of us that feel imprisoned. In John 8, 31 and 32, and then verse 36, it says this. Jesus said this, If you live as I tell you to, you follow Jesus, you obey Him, you live as I tell you to, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You hear that all the time. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what everybody in the world says then is, you see, it's knowledge. Because when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And it's like you miss the whole point of that verse. Truth is not an idea. Truth is a person. It's Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And if the Son, Jesus, sets you free, you will be truly free. We just sang about that. You will be truly free. That truly free, you'll be free indeed. See, it's, he, what he's saying is, there's a lot of fake in the world. There's a lot of phony in the world. We see it all the time. There's fake news. There's fake everything. There's phony everything. I have literally met people that I had seen before I met them. I had seen them on social media. And I got a chance to meet them. And I met them and I looked at them and said, you don't look like you do in that picture. You don't have like butterflies <laughs> and, and dog ears and puppy mouth or whatever, you know. You haven't been filtered to death. And I look at that, I'm not, I was going to say I'm not making fun. I am. <laughs> I, I am a little bit. But the truth is, we can all be phony in, a, in different ways and fake in different ways. And Jesus said, that's not the kind of freedom you want. Because the world will offer you freedom, but theirs is a phony freedom. Theirs is a fake freedom. Your friends may tell you, you do this, you don't need to do that. Forget that, man. That'll just, that'll just put you in a box and you won't like it. Do this and you'll be free. And you do it and you discover it's a prison. That's what happens. I thought I was doing that to be free and it turns out now I'm a prisoner of that. Jesus said, you want true freedom? It only comes through him. The Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. People who don't know Jesus say where the Spirit of the Lord is, oh, no, that's all the rules and the regulations and all that goofy stuff and religion, and you don't want that. That's how they would fill in the blank there. Jesus said, no, that's actually where freedom is. And until you experience it, you won't know that. It's not about misery. It's not about regulations. It's about freedom. Galatians 5, 14 just kind of puts it as blunt as you can. You are called to be free. So if you're not... You should be, because you're called to be free. What are we called to be free from? A whole bunch of things. I mentioned some already. There's hundreds. I could go through tons of them. We could be here all day, but I know neither you nor I want that. So three things today. Three things that you can be free from. And these are, although they can be external, they're really not. They're really inside. These are things that you need free from that nobody else around you may know that are keeping you in prison. So here's three things. First one. Jesus is the door to freedom from the prison of the past. Freedom from the prison of the past. We just finished a series on this, moving past your past a few weeks ago. Again, you can go online and listen to that. Um, we looked at things like labels, how you can be free from the labels. We looked at the whole idea of unforgiveness and that, the, the bitterness that comes from, from not being forgiving. One of the ones that resonated with so many people was we talked about, when we talk about freedom from your past, we talked about personal failures. Ways that we've screwed up, things that we've done that were bad. And it is so easy to be trapped and imprisoned by things like that from our past. Jesus is the door to freedom from the prison of your past. You may have screwed up big time. And I'm going to say, if you've screwed up big time, welcome home. <laughs> because we're all a bunch of screw-ups. But we're getting better. That's the point. But we've all screwed up one time or another. Um, you look at the Bible, all of the great leaders in the Bible, they're all screw-ups. They all did bad things. One of the greatest examples to me is Peter. Jesus, but Peter denied Jesus 
on that night that Jesus was betrayed and handed over to be tried and crucified. This was like moments after he said, I'll never deny you, I'll die for you. Three times he denied him. Jesus predicted it. He knew it was going to happen. That failure, Peter wept so bitterly when that happened. That could have been the end of Peter. It could have been like James or Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. He only did it once. But it didn't end real good for him. He was so filled with remorse that he went out and killed himself. It could have ended very badly for Peter, too. But things would change because of one reason, the resurrection. And Jesus knew that. See, had, had Judas just waited a few days, life could have been so different for him. Here's what Luke 22 says. I love this verse, Luke twenty two thirty two. Jesus says, after he tells Peter, you're going to deny me, Peter says, no, I'll never do that. Jesus said, Satan is actually asked to come down, and the way he describes it is he's asked to sift you guys like wheat, to just put you through the ringer. That was going to happen within the next few days to them. But here's what Jesus says. But I have prayed for you, Simon. That's Peter. He's called Simon, Peter, Simon, Peter, whatever. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And here's my favorite part. Actually, sometimes this is my favorite part of the whole Bible. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That just oozes with hope. When you have turned back, he doesn't say if. You decide to do the right thing. When you have turned back, not if. The mistake, your mistake, the screw-up, the failure, it doesn't have to take you out. Peter turned around from it. You can turn around from it because of Jesus too. You know what changed it for him? The resurrection. After the resurrection, Peter knew that everything Jesus said was true. He turned back, and he did strengthen his brothers. He became a great leader among the disciples. He became a great leader in the church. He was actually, after denying Jesus 50 days before that, 53 days before that, he was the one who got to preach the very first sermon, very first church service. Peter got to preach it. And amazingly, 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus and changed their lives and their eternity forever. I know a lot of people say, I don't like big churches. It's like, you know, the first church was a mega church. Very first church had 3,000 people in it. You see, your past doesn't have to be an inescapable prison. It doesn't have to be. Jesus may have to shake up your foundation a bit and um, that may not be real pleasant, but you can tap into that resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead can release you from your prison. You don't have to be what your past says you are. We sang this too. You can be who Jesus says you are. So the first thing is freedom from the prison of the past. The second one hits a little too close to home for me. Jesus is the door to freedom from the prison of phoniness. As a kid, this was a huge issue that I struggled with. Because we all spend way too much time and effort faking it. We've talked about this. Putting up walls, faking it. Not real, not authentic. Um, it, it's coming up on 44 years ago that I gave my life to Jesus. That I just turned everything over to Him. And I will remember it for all eternity. I remember when I gave my life to Him, I didn't know anything. <laughs> about the same as now. And... <laughs> didn't have all the right theological words and phrases. You know what I said to Jesus? I remember it just like it was yesterday. I said, I'm tired of being a phony. And he knew exactly what I meant. I'm tired of being a phony. You see, we live lives too often that are not real. They're not authentic. It's not, what people see is not really what's going on in here. I know that some of you have been faking it so long, you're not even sure who you are. Because you've been playing the game so long. What puts us in that prison of phoniness? A lot of things, but we can summarize it with just two things. The first one is people-pleasing. Living for the approval of others. 
wanting other people to be happy with who we are and what we do and what we look like and what we eat and what we drive and where we live. And we want other people to be happy and we want to please people. The other thing that puts us into prison of phoniness is perfectionism. Perfectionism is like feeling you have to be perfect to be loved. If I'm not perfect, I'm not going to be loved. Many of us have struggled with that because of the way we were brought up or, or what happened when we were kids or, or something goes on and we think back and we think it didn't matter what I did, it was never good enough. I could do the absolute best and I could shine and everything would be great. And it's like, yeah, well, you didn't do this. And we get stuck there feeling that we have to be perfect to be loved. See, this is always trying to be what other people want me to be. That's what it is. To meet their expectations, to fill to fulfill their purpose for me. When I was in Bible college, one of the things they told you is, when you're sharing the gospel with people, one of the things you can do is you can say this, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's true. That's enticing. That's exciting. You know where most people live? God loves you and everybody else has a plan for your life. And that's how they live their lives. In Proverbs 29, it says this, the fear of human opinion disables. But trusting in God protects you from that. Too many people are living lives that they are disabled from doing what really God wants them to do because they're so afraid of what other people think. They're so afraid of other people's opinions that they don't step out and do what God is asking them to do. In Luke 16, it says this. It's kind of blunt. You're always making yourselves look good. But God sees what's in your heart. The things that most people think are important, the things that the world around you thinks are important, the things things that our culture thinks are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. We get so hung up on those things. You know, most of the things that we worry about will not matter in five years. There's there's none of you here that I can tell are high school age, maybe, you know, just out of high school. Um, I want... For those of us who have been out for a couple years, I can tell you some of the things you're thinking right now that are so freaking important won't matter in five years. They're like the world right now. They won't matter in five years. And we get so hung up on those things. Here's some important facts for you to understand when we talk about phoniness and people-pleasing. Here's the first fact. You may never even thought of this before. Even God can't please everyone. I know it's summer. Football is a good example of this. When you're watching a football game on TV, here's what you think. You think half of the people watching this game right now are praying for their team to win. The other half of the people that are watching that game are praying for their team to win. How is God going to make everybody happy? He tried one time with us, and it was a tie, and it sucked. It was worse than losing. (laughs) But when you realize that if God can't make everybody happy, you're not going to make everybody happy, that's freeing. Another important fact is I don't need anyone's approval to be happy. I don't need it. Some of you, that's all you needed to hear today. I don't need anybody's approval to be happy. I just need to do what God wants me to do. The third thing is what seems important right now is only temporary. It won't be as important as you think it is five years from now. The fourth thing is I only have to please one person. And too many of you are thinking, yeah, it's me. (laughs) Can't please everyone, so you've got to please yourself. That's, you know, you lost. If you live your life to please yourself, to make yourself happy, you know what I can guarantee? You won't be happy. Guarantee it. If you live your life to please the one person who matters, and that's God, the byproduct of that can be happiness. It's huge. I only have to please one person. And the fifth thing, very important, God shaped me to be me, not someone else. You don't have to be someone else to be who God made you to be. You can't be someone else and be who God made you to be because he made you to be you. Now, I said earlier, we're all a bunch of screw-ups here. We're all broken, but we're getting better. 
When I say God shaped you to be you, what that does not mean is in all of your sin, you can just keep doing that because, yep, this is me. That's not how it works. We let God clean us up and, and find out from him who we're really supposed to be. And we realize, I didn't have to please that person. I didn't have to be this person for that person. I didn't have to do that. So what's the solution? It's very simple and very hard at the same time. Switch your focus to what God thinks. Stop thinking about what the other person thinks and switch your focus to what God thinks. And the only way you'll know that is in the Bible, right here. Spend time with Him every day. And when you spend time with Him in His Word, you talk to Him, He talks to you, you find out what He thinks and you find out that there is only one person who knows you completely. And that's not you because you don't even know you completely. I surprise myself all the time. And not in a good way always. There's only one person who knows you completely. There's only one person who loves you unconditionally. And there's only one person who knows exactly what you were created to do and who you were created to be. And that's your creator. We live to please him. Here's what Psalm 119 says. I will live in freedom. And that's what we want. We want to live in freedom. I will live in freedom. And here's why. Because I only pay attention to what you say, Lord. I only follow what you say. I only follow your, your rules. I only listen to what you have to say. I don't worry about what other people say. I follow you, Lord. I listen to you, Lord. And because of that, I can live in freedom. One of the things I say to myself every day in my, I call them my gut talk declarations. I have them in a list and I say them out loud every day. One of the things is I am not a people pleaser. And I have to say that obviously because I struggle with that. I am not a people pleaser, and I say every single day, I live for an audience of one. That's my life. I live for an audience of one, and that's Jesus. You know what that does? It simplifies life. I don't have to please 500 people. I don't have to please one. It reduces stress in life. So Jesus is the door to freedom from the past. He's the door to freedom from the prison of phoniness. And the third thing, he says, freedom from the door um, freedom from the prison. He's a door to freedom from the prison. You try to say that 10 times fast <laughs> in three services. Jesus is the door to freedom from the prison of loneliness. For many of you here, that's a biggie. You can be sitting in a room with 200 people and be lonely. I will never forget the most intense feeling of loneliness I ever had in my life was when I was a kid in a concert with 6,000 other people. And I had this wave of loneliness over me, and it didn't matter that I was in the, in the middle of 6,000 people. I never felt so alone in my whole life. And the reason was, that is not what fills the hole of loneliness in your life. See, only God can do that. In Hebrews 13.5, it says this, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And some of you here said, yep, heard that before, but not from him. When he says it, he means it. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. When you walk through the door to freedom and meet Jesus, he will never leave you. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament. It says it a number of times in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, it's, it's one of the places quoting, the Lord himself goes before you. That means you don't have to worry where you're going. God's been there. He's going ahead of you. And he will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You don't have to be alone. He's going ahead of you. He's going to be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. That's why so many people live their lives with fear and discouragement because they don't have Jesus there. They're alone. When you have him there to never leave you or forsake you, you don't have to be afraid. We say here at Journey North, we're a church that follows two things, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. You do what's in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, and you'll be okay as a church. Here's what the Great Commission says. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Died, buried, rose again, and said, here it is, fellas, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. On the basis of that, therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations. 
That means take people who were not followers of Jesus and show them where the hope is, where the freedom is, where the truth is, and let them become followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's the most important part for us today. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you know when I was a little kid, that verse really bothered me. I remember praying and saying to God, why Shirley? Why do you only stay with Shirley? What about me? You say, Shirley, you're going to be with her till the end of the age. What about me? It bothered me as a little kid. And so I started doing something as a little kid. I kind of still do it. When I read this verse, not out loud, but I'll do it out loud for you because I love you. When I read this verse, here's how I always read it. And Tim, I am with you always <laughs> to the very end of the age. Because that's true. There's a lot of things that you should do that. You should put your name in when you read it. Because it's to you. You, you can be sure of that. I understand what it means now, okay? <laughs> I am with you always, he said, to the very end of the age. So Jesus promised not to leave us. Be with us always to the very end of the age. And then shortly after that, he ascended back to heaven. And I say, wait, what? You just said you'd always be with us. Here's what you need to understand. When Jesus was explaining this to them, here's what he said earlier. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor another comforter, another helper, depending on your translation. The word is paraclete. It means one who comes alongside you just like I am, just like Jesus is. And the word another means another of the same kind. So Jesus said, another of the same kind as me is going to come, who will never leave you. Because Jesus knew for a short time he was going to leave. He said, the Father will send one like me who will never leave you. And then he explains, verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. In fact, they'll think you're crazy when you say, I have Jesus in me because the Holy Spirit came into my life when I went through the door to freedom and accepted Jesus. And they'll, they'll, they'll be smiling and nodding their head going, because they can't get it until you come to him. It says they don't get it. They're not looking for it. They don't recognize him. But you do. And here's the key, because he lives with you now. This was before he ascended and sent the Holy Spirit. He lives with you now. They had the Holy Spirit there. They had Jesus with them right there next to them, and later will be in you. See, for them, it was a promise. In a little while, I'm leaving. God's going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's not just going to be standing next to you, because Jesus could be next to him now and then next to him later. The Holy Spirit can be in all of us all of him, in all of us, 24-7, all the time, we can have Jesus right here with us. For them, it was a promise that was fulfilled at Pentecost. For us, it's now, the moment we walk through the door to freedom and turn our lives over to Jesus. We get the Holy Spirit, we get Jesus in us, and we never have to be alone. It says in Colossians 1.27, God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of this mystery. And here's the mystery that nobody understood before this time. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I have hope because I have Jesus in me, because I walk through that door to freedom. Because of that, you never have to be alone. And I feel like that guy on TV. But wait, there's more. <laughs> because as, as, as amazing as that is, that's not all he did. You see, we're better together. He made this thing called the church. I had people, I have people last week that would say, do you see that, how tragic it was that the church in Paris burned? That's like, I, I, what I say is, yeah, yeah, it's tragic. And what I think in my head is the church didn't burn. A building burned. It's a cool building, but it's building. The church is people. Journey in our church has met in either 50, I don't have a count right now, 15 or 16 different locations. It's not about a building, it's about people. It's about family. 
when you come into the family of God, when you go through that door to freedom and become part of the family of God, you never have to be alone again because you have family. In the words of that amazing theologian, remember, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. Not a lot of red-green fans in this service, huh? <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'm only here to please an audience of one. Here's the thing. There are too many. There are too many of you that are in prison today. They're not literal bars, but they feel like it. And what you need is you need to walk through that door to freedom. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. And as they're coming up, I just want to, I, I want to share with you an opportunity, an invitation. In Acts 10.35, it says this. It makes no difference, no difference who you are or where you are from. It doesn't make any difference where you're from, what your family was like. It doesn't matter what race you are, what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done or where you've been or not been. None of that matters. It makes no difference if you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. So it doesn't matter what you came in with. It doesn't matter what baggage there was. If you want freedom today, you can walk through the door to freedom. And I'm going to actually ask you to do that today. Julie, look back there at that door. Look at Julie, that hot blonde back there waving. I can say that because we've been married for 36 years. Actually, last week, 36 years. And here's how much God loves her. He made our anniversary a beautiful day, and we got to go for a ride on a motorcycle. <laughs> Is God good or what? So anyhow, that door, that doorway that she's standing in, you'll notice the door is open. If you want to walk through the door to freedom, for you this morning, it's that door. That's the door to freedom. Jesus said, I am the door. And if you are ready to make a decision for Jesus, if you know that you're in a prison, and you want freedom from that, and you want to begin to experience his freedom, you can just walk through that door. Someone will be there. There's, there's guys and girls back there. There's someone that will be there to pray for you. You can tell them why you're back there. They'll pray for you. And if you don't know Jesus and you want to meet him today, they would love to introduce you. It will change not only your life, it will change your eternity. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a closing song. As we sing this closing song, I'm going to ask you to take a bold step. As we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to, we're all going to be standing and singing. As everybody's standing and singing and you want freedom, you want to walk through that door to freedom, I'm going to ask you to just get up and walk to the back and walk through that door. And if you're scared and you don't want to do it alone, ask the person next to you, will you do that with me? Pretty sure they will. If they say no, tell me afterwards and I'll talk to them. <laughs> just ask somebody else if you don't want to do it alone. Walk through that door and you'll be walking through the door to freedom. What I want is I want you to be able to leave here without all that the baggage, with all, all the hurts, without those, those prison bars in your life. Jesus wants to give you freedom. So as we're singing, all you have to do is make your way back there. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing the closing song. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for demonstrating that so vividly when you died on the cross for us. But more importantly, Father... We thank you that all of that was validated and secured when you rose from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that anybody here today who's hearing that whisper, that today would be the day that they said, I'm walking through the door to freedom. I'm turning to Jesus today. I don't understand it all, but I believe that what he did was for me. And I, I, I want to do that today. I want to say yes to Jesus today. So I pray, Father, that you would give any, any of the people here that are, that are hearing this that want to do that, the courage and the strength to take that first step. Thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Doesn't that just get you excited for heaven? I can't wait. You know, we made up a bunch of bags um, as gifts for people who came to Jesus today for the first time. And I was really, I, I went out on a limb and just exercised a lot of faith. And made, we made up all these bags. And we had to go out and make up that many more again. Yeah. It's so exciting because we have a whole bunch of people who are becoming part of the family. That's very exciting. You know, Sunday, Easter Sunday, 
for Christians is um, it's not a maybe. It's not a maybe for us. You know why? He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that changed everything. Everything was affirmed and sealed when Jesus left that tomb. He opened a door for us. He opened a door to freedom. So let's, for just a second, let's celebrate all those who, who made a commitment to Jesus. Today. That's right. Remember, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. We do this together. Um, and by the way, we actually meet here every Sunday, two different times, 9 and 1030. Next week, it's different. It'll, it'll be this way for a while. Not next week, 9 or 10.30. You're all invited back next week. Um, and as you go, I have a gift for you. I love to give things away. It's one of the things I love to do the most. But I, I, I love giving things away at Easter. And we've given away a lot of different things. And I was trying to think, what could we give away? We've been this kind of the culmination of Jesus saying, I am the door. And I thought I could give everybody a door. It just, I can't, you know, could you help me load this in my car? I just don't see it working well. And then the cheap part of me thought, well, I could tell people here. And they said, what is that? It's like, it's an open door. And it's like, nobody would get it. So then I thought, what about a hinge? Because I could explain the, the spiritual significance of the hinge and how this is a real turning point and a hinge in your life. And it just seems stupid that you're sitting at lunch and said, what'd you do at church? I got a hinge. So here's what we're doing. Jesus is the door. You want to go through that door. You know what you need? A key. I know this is really small, but it's actually cool that it's small. It can fit on your keychain. When you go out the door, there's going to be people that have these little black cup things, and there's, there's keys in them. Just take one. It's only one door, remember? <laughs> there's six different kinds, so you don't have to like search and search and search for the perfect key. There's only six different kinds in there. So pick a key and use this to remind you that Jesus is the door. And he wants to unlock all those doors for you. That's what Jesus wants to do. And one last chance. If you want to walk through that door to freedom, I'm going to make it a little easier for you. You just casually go out and you head like you're going for the exit. And you go like this. Right in that door. And it'll all work. And they'll pray with you. And and God is doing great things in this church and all over Pine City and all over the world today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, for demonstrating that on Calvary, but for rising again to demonstrate and to prove and to seal everything you said was true. Thank you today for those who have stepped across that line and stepped through the door to freedom. Here at Journey North, at all of the churches in Pine City that are preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus, and all around this planet as we celebrate Jesus. Father, thank you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Easter.